You're listening to episode 175 of the Pastor Writer Podcast, conversations on reading, writing, and the Christian life. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. We're continuing our look at the five masculine instincts, and today Shakespeare recorded man's fifth stage as a kind of retreat. He uses the phrase, the world now too wide. He captures what is a natural instinct for so many men, apathy. The longer we live, the more we realize how little control we have. The world feels increasingly complicated and ourselves increasingly less capable of fixing it. We naturally begin to disengage and retreat into hobbies and comfort. Doubt and sin are certainly risks to faith, but rarely do we recognize the risk of apathy. Through the story of Abraham, we'll take a closer look at the instinct of apathy and how God tested Abraham to help him engage faith and rescue him from the instinct. As always, thanks for listening. Well, Peter, good to be wrapping up our look at the five masculine instincts yeah. with the fifth instinct. We've still got some concluding conversations, but we've been working our way chapter by chapter through the five instincts, uh, yeah. sarcasm, adventure, ambition, reputation, and the final one is apathy, yeah. which centers on the character of Abraham and really in many ways a particular season in Abraham's life. So looking forward to talking yeah. and seeing what you thought about this chapter as well. Yeah. You know, of all the chapters, I think this one is... I mean, all of them, I think, should bring you to a place of just, you know, introspection, you know, and just looking internally. But this, just this idea of apathy, uh, and I think this, the the moment we find ourselves in, um, I just, I really resonated with this chapter. And so I really, really enjoyed the conversation that we're getting ready to have. I know I'm going to. So let me just first open it up by saying this. Um, why do men tend to disengage in general? Why do you believe that is? So Shakespeare puts this as one of the final stages before the stage of death. It is the sort of retirement stage, the yeah. sort of winding down of life stage. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's helpful to think of it that way for a lot of men who are driven by ambition or adventure. Yeah. This apathy may seem like something totally foreign. I think it's worth us all taking it seriously because, for one, that moment probably is coming. Let's think about what it is. But also because I think this this instinct for apathy creeps in in other moments. Mm -hmm. So when a man finds himself driven for adventure, but that adventure doesn't pan out, yeah. oftentimes the thing that takes over is a kind of apathy or disillusionment. The same with a failed ambition may cause you to just check out from the world and decide none of it works. And you find yourself in this sort of moment of, of, of apathy. Yeah. And so I think it's a good one for all of us to think, think through because it's either coming Someday towards the yeah. end or through the struggles of life, you may find yourself in more quickly. Yeah. Um, there are theories, though, specifically about as men begin to age, they begin to disengage from relationships around them. So yeah. a couple of the studies I mentioned in the book talk about how the number of friends that men have yeah. decreases as they age. Yeah. Another one I thought was really interesting was men tend to laugh less statistically as they get older, that really? we find ourselves less drawn into humor, probably a relationship to the closing of social circles. Yeah. So there tends to be just sociologically evidence for a man's world diminishing or sh shrinking as he ages, particularly in those final stages of life. So it's something all of us should be aware of and be thinking about this possibility of disengagement and apathy. Yeah. You said something, you said, I know far more men who have lost the vitality of their faith to the obsession of their hobbies and the security of their recliners than to the grotesque sins of violence or lust. Talk about that a little bit. That's quite a statement. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd be curious if it's other men's experience as well, yeah. too. But as a pastor, um, I know men struggle with all sorts of sins. I well, I mean, I would just say it's it. just it's almost like just I'm just going to check out like I'm just yeah. you know what I mean? It's Shakespeare just, uses the phrase in this stage, the world became too wide. Yeah. And I think there's a sense for a lot of men that it's all just too complicated. Yeah. And at the end of the day, for many of us as men, we take a lot of our sense of identity or value from being able to fix things, accomplish things, build things. Yeah. And you do hit a point in life, either through discouragement and loss and failure, or just by the longevity of time, yeah. where you can develop a sense that it, none of it matters. It doesn't work. Anything I build just gets torn down. Yeah. Anything I accomplished, I eventually lose. The system is stacked. The, it's very easy to start feeling like I'm going to retract my life into the very few things that I can actually control, which yeah. often are not my relationships or my children or a community. Yeah. Those can be the very things that I feel like pain me and hurt me most and I have the least control over. So you end up shrinking from social relationships yep. and responsibilities. And so often that world shrinks into recliners and TV or video games and pornography or just a sense of my my little hobbies and my workshop and I construct this little world of my control and yeah. content myself with those things as yeah. a way of avoiding what I know I can't control, I can't yeah. fix. Real quickly before we get into the subject of Abraham, you know, I've recently had an experience with a couple of men to use the example of older, kind of seasoned in life. Both of them coincidentally are right around the year of 80, 80 years old. And both of them have taken the opposite approach. And they're like, why would I stop working? Why would I stop? I see this as the greatest season of influence and impact in my life because I don't have the same responsibilities. I don't have the type of ambition that I had when I was younger or young children in my house. But now I'm in a season where I can pour into the lives of others. And for me, someone who's a little bit younger, I mean, that is just incredibly inspiring yeah to see men that are in that phase or in that season of life that are like, oh, no, I'm not slowing down. I'm still going at the same speed or ramping up. I mean, I've changed lanes and I'm doing some things differently. But, I mean, that is just – it's incredibly refreshing, though, to see that. Well, the church is a place for this to happen because yeah. in the workforce, I mean, you know, you work a job as well that, um, you know, their men start feeling like they can't keep up with the technology, yeah. the trends, yeah. retirement starts approaching. For yeah. a lot of men, they may not even feel really ready to retire, yeah. but they do it because they're just struggling to keep up or feel like there's not a place anymore. And then that transition into retirement can be devastating oh, because yeah. you're not producing. What's my value? Who am I as a man? To be able for younger men to look at older men in the church and say, the consistency of faith and the way that you continue to engage the world actively as a believer, yeah. which doesn't mean I'm starting businesses and preaching to it, just your ability to to take on the complexity yeah. of relationships oh, and people absolutely. is valuable to me as a young man to see that faithfulness oh. walked out. I think we, yeah. we should do a better job as a church saying to our older believers that steadfastness of faith is something we need in our congregations oh, and in our lives. So we don't fall into the trap of this disillusionment and discouragement, yeah. but we see there is value to the longevity yeah. of faith. Peterson has the great phrase, a long obedience in, in the, the same, same direction. direction. That yeah. kind of consistency of faith yeah. actively engaging over years is something we should value more than we sometimes do. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, let's talk about Abraham or let's talk about him a little bit in this. How do you see apathy in his life? So this is an interesting one because there are moments where Abraham is anything but apathetic. I mean, yeah. Abraham is the guy who receives the call to go. He doesn't even know where he's going, and he packs up his whole family and goes. Like, yeah. not a lot of apathy. It's pretty yeah. remarkable what he does. But Abraham, who is pursuing this long vision, yeah. a new land, 
a promised son. That's the thing that he carries with him for years and years and years unfulfilled. You start to see moments where all of that gets put to a real test. And you see him starting to respond with what I recognize as a kind of detachment and apathy. So a large part of that starts when this child, this promised heir does not come. Um, his wife conceives this plan that they'll produce a child by their servant, Hagar, and that that will be their heir that they've been looking for. It's shocking to me that in that story, it's her plan. She seems to execute it. And Abraham seems pretty apathetic, although obviously participates. Um, he doesn't do it with much much of a, a faithful engagement in what's yeah. actually happening with any consultation of God. And then that all goes terribly wrong. So all of a sudden there's hostility between Sarah and Hagar, Abraham's wife and the servant. Um, and what does Abraham do again? Now he's got this war in his home. He dismisses Hagar, sends her off into the wilderness with this son. Um, again, it's this passive sort of response of unable to engage the complexity of the moment. But really where you start to see it is the possibility, the thing he's looking for. Abraham's story seems to come to a kind of false ending. So there's a point in the Genesis story where it seems to be wrapping itself all up with Abraham. Uh, there's a great scene where he plants this tamarisk tree and sits beneath it. It's like he's settled on this piece of land yeah. with a well. He, um, although it's been difficult, this issue with Ishmael and Hagar has resolved itself because they've been sent off. Finally, he's received by God's miracle, this son, Isaac, who is his promise, his hope, his future. Um, the story right before the ending, he signs a bunch of peace treaties with some of his neighbors. And you see all of these tension points of the plot re- resolving themselves into this ending, right? Here is finally the faithful Abraham with his son and his land and his security and this tree that he's planted that he's yeah. finally set beneath retirement. And then you turn the page and the very next thing says... But God decided to test Abraham. And all of a sudden, this comfort, this place of apathy of things sorted out the way he wants it, his own little bubble, yeah. is destroyed with that simple idea that God is going to change that situation for Abraham just when he imagined it was all resolving itself, a kind of false ending. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that a little bit. How should we think of spiritual tests, and particularly this one for Abraham then? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really aware that word test makes people uncomfortable, yeah. right? Like, thank you, God. I finally got my life all put together. Right. I'm finally comfortable and retired. I've worked my whole life to build this nest egg, and I finally just yeah. want to enjoy it. And you're going to take it from me in a yeah. test? Um, when we hear test, we often think, God making me do something I don't want to or yeah. putting me through something. But if you think about it like a test, our kids are in school. Um, a test isn't just to like make you feel good or bad. <laughs> you know, the test exists so that a teacher, but also you who's taking the test can determine how much of that content you actually know. Mm-hmm. It's a definitive way of saying, I know this much information. Yeah. This is what's true about the knowledge yeah. I possess. And I think the kind of, I think God anticipated the way that Abraham's faith was beginning to disengage the fulfillment of the promise. What, yeah. At this point in Abraham's life, what does he have to want? What does he have to trust God for? Yeah. What does he have? What need does he have of God? He's rich. He's got a place to live. He signed peace treaties. He's got his heir that he'll pass everything down to. I mean, you see how easy it is for him to just now coast in faith in the yeah. same way that many of us who achieve something successful and yeah. get our finances in order and our family in order and our house paid off. And we look at a period of time and imagine Finally, we can just coast. Yeah. And what the test does is it forces Abraham to determine, what do I actually believe? Yeah. What is actually real? What is actually most important to me? It keeps, it's an opportunity for him to reflect on 
what is most important to me yeah. in a way that without the test had a tendency to just sort of drift away in his apathy. Yeah. How do we, I mean, cause I've seen, I mean, just in my own life, like not necessarily family, but just, you know, whether people that I've worked with or, you know, decisions, I've heard uh, my pastor say decisions have descendants, you know, but I also think just a non-decisive person, well, that has descendants too, kind of this apathetic. And I think of, especially particular with, with men, you know, the decisions we make and the lack of decisions or intentionality, either way, they have results. They have a legacy tied to them. So just in general, then, like, how do we safeguard against becoming overly, you know, apathetic, you know, especially, yes, in our later years, but also even now, like we're in our mid thirties and we have kids and it's easy to just be like, you know what, this is the season we're in and we're just going to kind of, you know, watch our kids. We go to work, we take care and that's it. Like, I don't have time for anything else. And that could be a sign of apathetic in this season of life. How do we safeguard against that? Yeah, it's interesting you use the word decision because, I mean, I guess I should say this test. I just yeah. referred to it kind of vaguely. I mean, the test that Abraham's put under is God asks him to go to Mount Moriah and prepare his son Isaac, the heir, the promised fulfilled, to prepare him as a sacrifice. Yeah. Um, which it's hard to imagine something more threatening to the comfort of the world he had created than that. The oh, final yeah. fulfillment of the this is not just that it's Abraham's son. That would be enough. This is that son you have waited for your entire life that is the hope of every promise that you followed God and based yeah. everything on. Um, and the definitive decision that is forced. Yeah. It's not just God saying, I'm going to do this. Let's see how you respond. It's you take your son and you prepare him as a sacrifice. There's so much that has been written and can be written about this passage. I don't in the book try to say this is everything that you could say about the sacrifice, the binding and sacrifice sure. of Isaac. Um, what I chose to try to focus on is what it does to Abraham's faith. Yeah. And what it does do is uh, we learn from the New Testament uh, that when it describes what Abraham was thinking in that moment, that he believed God was capable of raising Isaac even from the dead. Yeah. And so what it forces you to recognize is it reactivates faith in Abraham's life mm -hmm. where there was no longer a need for faith. Now he desperately needs faith yeah. and he must act in obedience to God, trusting something that God is going to do, which yeah. shifts him back in to who he actually is. I mean, this yeah. is actually the way Abraham's lived his entire life. Yeah. He hasn't lived sitting under a tree. Yeah. He's been the one who went yeah. and the one who gave and the one who sacrificed and pursued yeah. God and stood beneath the stars and waited and listened as God yeah. made promises. And all of that's, he's lost who he is in this apathy. Yeah. And this single act forces Abraham back into who he is at his best, yeah. looking at God trusting God, saying things like, even if God has to raise him from the dead, that core dependence on God. Wow. And it moves, look, how, how much of a profound impact did it have on Isaac, yeah. this experience? How much of a profound impact did it have on us as biblical readers? I mean, this ground is associated traditionally with the place that Christ would be crucified in yeah. Jerusalem, that this becomes a sort of core building block, not just of Abraham's faith, but of every generation of men who would have faith, that it would yeah. track back to this this first testing of faith in Abraham. And the real question being, what are we willing to sacrifice? Yeah. That all sacrifice requires some fundamental trust that God will do what we can't. And that it's by sacrifice that we shake ourselves out of this apathy. So for a lot of men, I feel like what in this season of life where you have it all sorted out, you've yeah. nailed it all down, what are you willing to sacrifice to yeah. keep faith alive? What are you willing to give? What are you willing is it may just be 
a reinvestment of time that you thought was yours. It yeah. may be a willingness to bear the complexity of broken relationships that you would prefer just cut out of your life. Yeah. But you've got to sacrifice something that you possess to re-engage yourself by faith back into what God is doing and could do again, or else the apathy, you tend to just shrivel and lose who you are, that thing that's carried you through all of life. Yeah. I, I think that is a perfect ending to that chapter because that's a great synopsis is ultimately it's about what are we willing to sacrifice for the sake of not becoming apathetic? Yeah. That's a humbling statement, but it, it's, it's so pivotal. I mean, in, in every stage of our life, like I look at that, especially as we become fathers and, and as we get older, but I look at older men and, and wow. That, yeah. One of the ways I like to talk about it too is um, I write about it in the book, so I won't go through the whole thing, but there was a journalist in New York who went to cover uh, a trial of a Nazi official who had been involved in uh, the concentration camp. Uh, he had been in charge of trains and movement of Jews into the concentration camp. Eichmann was his name. And this was a huge deal. They had captured him in Argentina, I believe it was, and brought him to Jerusalem for trial. And it is, for many people, it was televised. It was the mm -hmm. first of these trials to ever be televised because it was later, I believe, in the late 60s. And uh, for many people, this was the first time they saw a Nazi on television. It wow. was the first time they had seen an account given in a trial setting of somebody who had perpetrated and yeah. known about the Holocaust events. And what Hannah Arendt, this journalist who went from New York to cover it, said, um, she wrote a book and developed the phrase, the banality of evil or the boringness of evil, the commonness of evil. Mm -hmm. And Eichmann's defense during the trial was, hey, my job was just to make the trains run. Like yeah. I didn't ask what was on them or where they were going. I just saw this piece. He was ultimately convicted because he knew more than that. Yeah. But the thing that stood out to her was how disengaged he was yeah. from what he was participating in and how boring and dull all of it seemed. Yeah. And the way that we as humans are capable of unbelievable evil and sin in the boringness and smallness of our lives. Wow. And so it is something to say, let's sacrifice for the sake of living out our faith strong. But it's also important to recognize that in apathy, in the boringness and smallness of our world, we don't avoid sin. The yeah. smaller our world gets and the less God and sacrifice are in it, we actually find ourselves capable of some of the worst damage, yeah. the worst evil, the most pain we can inflict on others. So do it for the sake of activating your faith again, yeah. but also recognize that the smaller your world gets, the more compressed that sin can get and the more destructive it can be to you and those around you as well, too. I mean, what if Abraham had said, nope, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. You know, lean into what God is asking of you, even if it is a sacrifice, because it's it's the, for Abraham, it was the only way to live, not just in the beginning, but all through life. Yeah. Wow. That's good. That's good. Well, the five well, instincts, the five so, instincts, there we sarcasm, go. Sarcasm, adventure, uh, ambition, uh, reputation and apathy. Yeah. And then in the final chapters, hopefully we'll spend a couple more conversations, maybe yeah. talking. Cause I know a lot of men, when they get to this point, maybe some of those resonated with you, but of course the question is, well, what do I do next? Yeah. We've even talked about that a couple of times. What yeah. do I, if I see myself in this story, what should I do with it? What comes next? And yeah. so we'll get in that in the following, following conversations. Yeah, no, it'd be good.
Well, we are officially one week out from the launch of the Five Masculine Instincts, and we're nearing the end of our series of conversations. We've got a couple summary episodes coming up, and we'll be back to our regular interviews. But if you haven't had a chance to pre-order the book, uh, it's your last chance to pre-order, and then the book will be sent out hopefully this week. You should receive it by the first. And uh, for those of you who have, I just wanted to say thanks again. The pre-orders have been really strong. I can't wait for people to actually have the book in their hands and be able to read it for themselves. And if you do, make sure and give me some feedback. You can leave a review wherever you bought the book. That's a huge help to people getting uh, exposure to books as well as being able to decide to buy the book. So if you do read it, I'd really appreciate a review. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.